Hello, everybody, and welcome to this episode of Causes or Cures. I'm Dr. Eeks, your host, and thank you so much for joining in today. So I like to cover a range, a wide variety of health topics on the podcast. Um, I'm like that in real life, too. Just like to talk about everything. But one thing I am always interested in is available, cheap stuff that is shown to be effective. Yeah. Now, when it comes to healthcare, healthcare is so expensive, so it's always nice to find the inexpensive stuff that works, especially in a world, at least here in the U.S., where it feels like healthcare is so unaffordable and people have to set up, you know, GoFundMe pages or rely on friends or their church to help pay medical bills. Um, yeah, it's bad. It's bad here. But today's episode falls in that category, that inexpensive stuff that works category. It's about a cheap oral antibiotic that can save a lot of lives being lost during childbirth. My guest today is Dr. Michael Santos. He's vice president of science at FNIH Foundations for the National Institute of Health. And he worked on the A plus trial, which was a trial designed to test one dose of azithromycin which is an antibiotic, given to women in labor with planned vaginal deliveries in low to middle income countries, so not rich countries. Um, and they were trying to see if it cut down on the rates of sepsis or basically a serious infection that can spread all over the body and lead to organ failure and death. It's not a good thing. Um, they looked at a couple of other outcomes, but sepsis was the main one, but he'll talk about all that in the podcast. He'll also talk about what was known before this study about azithromycin and maternal health and the health of the newborn baby, how big of a problem sepsis is when giving birth in these low to middle income countries, how they conducted their study results and the broader public health implications, which we all care about. Uh, the study was published in the New England Journal of Medicine. And if you want to read it, for you nerds out there, no, it's okay, I read, I read this stuff too. Um, wait, I'm a nerd. Um, anyways. If you want to read it, I will link to it in the podcast description. Okay, so give me a few seconds while we connect to Dr. Santos. All right. Okay, everyone, we are connecting with Dr. Michael Santos. Um, and we're going to talk about a study that I recently read published in the New England Journal of Medicine, correct? That was yes. uh, so a, a, a good, well-respected journal. Um, and it was about uh, an antibiotic called azithromycin and it's about maternal mortality. But before we dive into that, can you first tell us more about yourself and the work you do? Uh, sure, thanks. So, so my name is Michael Santos. I'm the vice president for science at the Foundation for the National Institutes of Health. At the FNIH, we support public-private partnerships to advance biomedical innovation in lots of different areas. Uh, the programs that I work on in particular are about research into innovations to help improve uh, health equity globally. Uh, so looking primarily at some of the biggest infectious diseases um, that have a, a disproportionate burden globally, so HIV, tuberculosis, and malaria. And then also looking at maternal and newborn health, um, where there are also great disparities, both globally and within countries like the United States. Um, so I'm delighted to be able to work with 
colleagues at the National Institutes of Health um, with funders like the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation and with uh, scientists, researchers, and, and um, advocates across the world who are looking to identify improvements in these um, really challenging areas. And the FNIH, I know people hear of the NIH all the time, especially during COVID. Can you just, what is the FNIH and when was that established? Uh, sure. So um, so FNIH began operations a little more than 25 years ago. Uh, it is a private nonprofit foundation that was chartered by the U.S. Congress to support the mission of the NIH. Uh, so one of the things at FNIH that we have the capability to do is to put together partnerships that involve the NIH and other partners uh, in ways that um, the NIH, because it's a government agency, has some restrictions on its ability to do itself. Um, so we're in a really fortunate position to be able to support research collaborations like the, the one that we'll be talking about today. Um, also, education programs, training programs, uh, lectureships, uh, awards for for scientists um, that are funded by all different kinds of partners that want to contribute to this broader mission. Okay, okay. Just so folks don't get confused with the NIH and the FNIH. Um, <laughs> so we're going to talk about the A-plus study um, showing azithromycin, a single dose reduces maternal sepsis. But first, uh, can we start with the basics? What is maternal sepsis? Um, can you tell us a little more about it? How big of an issue it is? What causes it? That sort of thing. Uh, yeah, absolutely. So sepsis is essentially an advanced consequence of an infection that uh, disseminates more broadly uh, in someone's body, um, begins to affect multiple different organ systems, and uh, in severe cases can lead to organ failure and death. Uh, it is a, a syndrome, so it's not defined by any specific exact way in which that happens, um, but it is it is a consequence of infection, of severe um, uncontrolled infection uh, that, that, of course, you know, can is, is a very serious um, condition that, that, like I said, results in death. So um, labor and child, well, pregnancy, but also labor, labor and childbirth are times of increased risk, um, both for pregnant people um, and for fetuses and newborn babies um, for exposure to infection. And so those times are also higher risk times during the course of life uh, for sepsis. And so that's uh, the high rates of maternal and newborn infection, sepsis and death are part of why the UN and the World Health Organization have created targets around reducing maternal mortality um, as sepsis along with um, postpartum hemorrhage and preeclampsia, so complications due to high blood pressure, are three of the leading causes of death for women during childbirth. And uh, so it's the, I think you can correct me if I'm wrong, the third most common cause of maternal mortality globally. Yes. Yeah. Okay. So um, I mean, the, the numbers aren't aren't very precise. It's certainly yeah. within the top yeah. three, and some studies find it second, and some studies find it third. I think. Okay. Okay. So just to establish for folks that it's a it's a big problem. That, yeah. Absolutely. Uh, affects a lot of pregnant people around the globe. Okay. So the other player we're dealing with here, azithromycin, and I, you know, I, so before you did this study, it was known that it could reduce maternal infection in um, the people who had unplanned C-sections, was that, is it, okay, so that was already known before you did the study. 
Yeah, so so some interesting things that um, have been discovered about azithromycin. So one, as you say, um, so cesarean sections are um, you know procedures that increase the risk of infection, and so using antibiotics prophylactically to try to um, treat or or prevent infection for C-sections is something that, in fact, some of the investigators of the A-plus study themselves had previously looked at um, and found that in addition to other antibiotics that are used in that case, azithromycin seemed to be able to provide some good benefit in that population. The other things that are that are known about azithromycin, which is a broad spectrum antibiotic, is used to treat um, a bacterial infection that causes something called trachoma, which can lead to blindness and it is a neglected tropical disease that that affects um, that many people in the world are at risk for. And in studies where people looked at providing azithromycin to children to um, prophylactically protect them against that bacterial infection that could cause blindness, what they found was also that azithromycin course seemed to reduce mortality overall in a way that went beyond the effect that it was having on trachoma. And that really sparked a lot of interest in whether use of azithromycin in other settings, like in childbirth, could provide additional protection against infection and death. And so there are multiple different studies now looking at azithromycin in different use cases, and this A-plus study is one of them. Why did you call it the A-plus trial? Ah, <laughs> so <laughs> A-plus stands for Azithromycin Prevention in Labor Use Study. Uh, so, so, so you got I mean, an, a kind of a nice sounding acronym out of it from the get-go. <laughs> um, uh, yeah. So, so the, the study investigators, uh, you know, came, came up with this name for the study. Yeah. 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 Uh, no, it's, I, I like it. Um, it's easy to remember. Um, okay. So mul multiple countries were involved in the study. Um, thousands of women, uh, pregnant women, I assume, um, I was curious, could you tell us a little bit about uh, the different countries involved and how you got these countries involved, how you recruited people to partake in the study? Sure. So the study was conducted by uh, by a network of investigators that were supported, that are supported by the National Institute of Child Health and Human Development. So that's one of the institutes of the National Institutes of Health. And this set of uh, of universities in the United States each partner with a medical research facility uh, outside of the U.S. around the world, and and those facilities around the world comprise this global network uh, that performed this research. And so, the sites in which the research were, was performed um, were it, were eight sites in seven countries. So it included Bangladesh, the Democratic Republic of Congo, Guatemala, India, Kenya, Pakistan, and Zambia. And so um, researchers at each of those sites and healthcare workers were involved in recruiting a little more than 29,000 women, uh, which, which is a, a, a large study, um, to, participate, uh, to participate in this. And so these were, as you say, um, pregnant women and women that did not have planned C-sections, so women that were intending to deliver vaginally. Now, in some cases, emergency C-sections were required, um, but this was a study to look at the effect of azithromycin in this population of uh, women who weren't expected to have um, C-sections or, or indeed other particularly high-risk conditions for infection. Okay, 
And could you just tell us a little bit about how you uh, set the study up? You know, like who was assigned to receive azithromycin, who wasn't? Uh, sure. So it was a randomized study. Um, and so I guess I, you know, I, I want to emphasize that the study protocol uh, was developed by the research team, which was led by investigators at the University of Alabama, Birmingham, uh, and an organization called RTI International, that's the data coordinating center for the study. Uh, and so the, the trial involved randomization. So uh, women who were informed about the study and, and gave their consent and decided to participate in the study were randomized to either receive azithromycin or a placebo, uh, a matched placebo. So the women didn't know whether they were receiving the antibiotic or not, uh, nor did the investigators, you know, either on the site or or globally. So that information is kept uh, essentially secret from everyone who's actively involved in participating in the trial until the uh, analysis phase at the end of the trial. And the azithromycin was one dose? Yeah, so it was, it was one dose, which was the form of four pills. So four 500 milligram pills that comprised one two gram dose. And they took it over a period of how much time? Or what uh, so they took it during labor. During um, labor, okay. So, yeah, so uh, exactly when during labor would, would vary by the individual, but after the women presented and, it, and in labor, that, that's when the uh, dose of azithromycin was administered. And the set, I'm just trying to create a, a picture for people. The the setting or the places where um, these women were giving birth were they like clinics, hospitals? Um, can you tell us a little more about that? Maybe compare it to. I mean, I'm I'm in the U.S., but just kind of compare it uh, the type of care they might be getting versus people here. Um, sure. So, so these are the research partners around the world are all um, you know medical research uh, institutions. So uh, these are places with, um, you know, resources and facilities um, to provide for, you know, skilled attendance at birth um, and, uh, you know, a, um, a, a, at, at a facility birth environment. Um, certainly globally, the rates of skilled attended births and facility-based births are lower than they are in, in high-resource settings like the United States, um, although those rates have certainly been increasing um, and are, I think, in all in all regions of the world now over 50%, but you still see large disparities, you know, large urban-rural splits um, and socioeconomic splits in access to those kinds of services. But in this study, I mean, part of the study is providing uh, for all participants in the study, a standard of care that includes, um, you know, a, a well-attended uh, labor and birth. So the you looked at two primary outcomes. Uh, that's right. So the study was looking at both maternal and newborn outcomes. Um, so, although the azithromycin was administered to the woman during labor, it was considered possible that in addition to benefit for infection for the mother, that there could be a uh, benefit for the newborns as well. So both of those outcomes were looked at, um, but when the data from the study were analyzed, the only significant benefit that could be detected in the data was for the mothers. So could you uh, tell us a little bit about the results? Uh, what, what did you see and how much of a difference did uh, the azithromycin seem to make? Uh, yeah, so it's a 
it's a fantastically exciting result that um, in the in the women who received azithromycin during labor, it was observed that there is a 35% reduction in the instance of maternal sepsis in the six weeks after they gave birth. Um, so that's a, uh, a pretty spectacular result. Again, especially when you consider that the women who participated in this study were not selected for being at a particularly high risk of infection or sepsis. Um, there was a, a sub-study of women that were identified as being with as, as having higher risk. But the study overall, women were recruited independent of, of any sort of predefined risk. Um, so having an, an impact that large, just in essentially a, a general population of, of um, women in labor in these sites, uh, I, I mean, was a, an extremely impressive result. The size of the result was large enough that actually when a pre-planned interim analysis of the data was performed, it found the effect size was was so large that they recommended stop stopping randomization, so stopping enrolling new women into the study because uh, they had already found an effect that, that was large enough that they didn't need to enroll more women in the study to uh, to identify it. Right, right, right. So they saw a, a beneficial effect. So they stopped the trial. Um, and I, I was curious when you mentioned the subset of women, did you, you also looked at that in this study who were high risk for sepsis? Yeah. So, so the study um, included assessing women for their prospectively for their risk of infection. So looking at whether their labor was prolonged um, or um, the the time between when their water broke and, and when they gave birth, which is also a predictor of infection risk. Uh, within that sub-study, so that's a much smaller number of women. So the the statistics aren't as uh it doesn't, it's not as easy to identify benefits. The results in that subset of women were consistent with the overall population of women, but but there was no separate finding for that subs for that subpopulation. Okay. Okay. I was I really was um just trying to understand like the, what what those risk factors for sepsis were um, for um, people who might be giving birth. Um, and then you didn't see benefits, but you didn't you didn't also see any adverse effects in um, the neonatal population. That's right. Yeah. And so in the in the newborn population, there were no significant findings in in either direction. Uh, and in fact, that that result was also robust enough that when the um, committee that has access to the data and knows which women were in the placebo group or the azithromycin group, when they did this analysis, um, they also determined that if the study continued, um, already th the results for, for newborns were so consistent with no effect that enrolling additional newborns wasn't going to change that. So that was also part of the determination to stop randomization. And you... You looked at the newborns because they're also at high risk from sepsis. Yes. So, okay. um, so just like ma maternal outcomes, infection um, is one of the three leading causes of newborn mortality, um, along with complications of of preterm birth and uh, and, and birth trauma, birth asphyxia, um, yeah. and neonatal encephalopathy. I wonder did so, that go again? Uh, did did they hypothesize? Did you hypothesize that it would make a difference? I guess intuitively you might think it, you you would think it might, but I'm curious as to what the initial hypothesis was. 
Yes. So, I mean, certainly it was considered plausible that uh, that there would be an outcome. Uh, I mean, I think neonatal, so neonatal mortality due to infection is probably comprised of a mix of infection that occurs prior to or during birth and then, uh, you know, exposures that result in, in infections um, after. And you, I mean, this is seen a little bit in the, the distribution of mortality by age. Um, so unlike other causes of newborn mortality, infection risk of mortality actually increases during the neonatal period. Um, most other risks are, are more concentrated toward birth. So maybe that suggests a sort of balance between the causes of infection or the sources of infection. Uh, so, it, you know, this study doesn't, doesn't rule out that um, intrapartum azithromycin to pregnant women doesn't provide some benefit, but it, it did not certainly provide a large enough benefit to be observed in this study. Can you talk a little bit about any adverse events? Uh, yeah. So, of course, um, as with any clinical trial, safety is a very important, um, safety outcomes are a very important set of outcomes to be monitored. And uh, so, so in the study, no differences in adverse events were identified between the placebo group and the azithromycin group. So it is very important to note that because this is a study of prophylactic administration of an antibiotic, people are very interested in questions of whether this could either cause antimicrobial resistance or it could cause some effect on the microbiome, so the, the collection of bacteria that all of us have um, inside and on us um, that has a mix of effects, but but some of which are beneficial. And so, uh, so those are very important questions as well and are actually part of a specific enhanced sub-study within this clinical trial, the results of which are, are not yet available, um, but hopefully will be available sometime during 2024, looking at, at those, again, specific effects, whether this has, um, whether when you look at the bacteria, there's any evidence that they have become resistant to azithromycin or any evidence that it's changed the microbiome in a way that could potentially be adverse. It's interesting, all the work, uh that's going on on the microbiome. I feel like I hear it in almost every podcast I do lately. <laughs> it's like, and let's go back to the microbiome. Um, I guess it does a lot. Um, and and there were some other effects, uh, beneficial results that you saw from the azithromycin. In addition to the uh, primary outcome, um, it looks like lower risk of uterine infection is that right? Uh, yes. So, so uh, there later were, on, yeah, after the fact. Um, well, well, so there were, um, in addition to the primary outcomes, which were related to sepsis and death, uh, then there were also uh, secondary outcomes that were studied as well. Um, and so within those secondary outcomes, uh, there was additional indication of of benefit. Um, so in particular for um, endometritis um, and uh, and so wound infection and then other infections. Um, and so okay. so that that's something that was also looked for and, and you know was a positive yeah. outcome. Reduced hospital readmissions, which is a another effect. Yes, yes. Yeah, that's all all good news. So uh, what are some of the practical implications of your study? Um, are, is this being recommended to 
medical boards, public health people, um, you know, to kind of update the standard of care or, or what are you doing with this information? Yeah. So, so of course, you know, dissemination of this result um, is, is really important for a lot of reasons to, to make um, many different stakeholders aware of it, including stakeholders that uh, make decisions about health policy and practice. So, um, you know, some of the hope for outcomes um, and, and in some cases, some some stakeholders may be interested, very interested in seeing the results of the antimicrobial resistance and microbiome sub-studies. But ultimately, um, organizations like the World Health Organization that are involved in making recommendations to ministries of health across the world about what kinds of practices um, are, are best in these settings, uh, you know, hopefully this evidence, and we expect certainly this evidence to be incorporated into those decisions, into those recommendations. Um, in addition, of course, you know, countries um, and and practitioners are in many cases able to to begin implementing this now if they want to. So certainly we expect and hope um, that this is going to influence policy and practice and and then outcomes. And it, it really has tremendous potential um, you know, based on the size of the effect scene and also based on hopefully the ease of administration. So, you know, we're talking about an antibiotic that is, um, you know, generic, that is already very widely available, that is already on the World Health Organization's essential medicines list for other indications. Um, so this is already a medicine that is considered essential to be available uh, in, in any health system. Right. Um, and very, uh, and, and it's yeah, it's just a single dose. Yeah. So they, and then just in terms of the route of administration, this is, they took this orally. So this wasn't, you know, no one shot in the arm, so to speak, which makes it easier to, uh, for people to take. Yeah. I mean, yeah. honestly, this is almost as simple as you can imagine yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, in the sense that it's a, a cheap, widely available cheap, oral widely antibiotic pill. Yeah. That could make um, a big difference. That's. Um, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, that's great news actually. Um, and it can make such a huge difference. Um, so are you, now you mentioned some of the follow-up studies. Uh, are you doing any more studies with azithromycin? Um, you mentioned that you're going to see the results of the antimicrobial or a microbiome study somehow in, in sometime in 2024. Are you looking at anything else in this area or the area of maternal mortality in general? So, uh, so the the FNIH, the Foundation for the NIH, uh, with this same network of investigators, the same global network, is supporting a study looking at a different um, maternal-related condition, which is postpartum uh, uh, anemia, so postpartum iron deficiency anemia. Uh, and so that's with these same sites globally, and particularly looking at the comparison of the administration of iron intravenously versus the standard of care, which is oral iron. So I know in, <laughs> when we're talking about A+, one of the really exciting things about it is the fact that the intervention is is uh, just oral pills to take, um, which is simpler. In this case, the intervention that's being looked at is an intravenous administration. So it would be more intensive in terms of um, what's required uh, of, of the facility and, and the healthcare providers. Uh, but there is some indication that it may be substantially more efficacious in treating postpartum anemia. And so that study is not yet enrolling, um, but is on its way to starting soon to evaluate that. 
And uh, are you mostly looking at maternal mortality in uh, low middle income countries? I was just curious, as you know, the United States has a really a high maternal mortality rate. I was just curious if you do things domestically as well as internationally or um, mostly focused in low middle income countries. So the um, portfolio of work that the portfolio programs that that I support in, in my programs at FNIH are oriented globally. Um, however, uh, both FNIH and NICHD uh, have a, a great interest in a number of different uh, domestic uh, health challenges as well. And there are some overlaps. So certainly within the US, uh, the disparities in maternal mortality, particularly the racial disparities in maternal mortality are, are extremely stark. Um, and so certainly, in in some cases, perhaps not this the A plus study specifically, but there are other areas, um, like for example preeclampsia, where it may be the case that there are interventions that are applicable both globally and can help address disparities in outcomes in higher resource settings like the U.S. Yeah, I um I've been really interested in um the whole maternal mortality thing. I've been reading recently about doulas and the the impact that doulas might make. Um, and that's been uh, really interesting. It could make, you know, seems to make a difference or hopefully. Um, but this is all very interesting stuff. And so if people are interested in learning more um, about the organization, I, I don't, I guess, I assume you, you have your research published on the website as well or links. Um, yeah, so for people interested in, in finding out more, um... Uh, certainly at the FNIH website, we have information on this program. Um, you can also look at the website of the Global Network for Women and Children's Health Research. So that's the network of investigators um, in the U.S. and globally that performed, that designed, uh, conducted this research. Um, there's also the National Institute of Child Health and Human Development, so the part of the NIH that's focused in this area where people can learn more about this program, but very many other programs that the NIH is supporting, uh, trying to improve maternal and newborn health. Well, thank you so much. I wish you a lot of luck with it. And I think it's a, it's a great study. Like you said, it's, it has all the elements to really be scalable, um, and make a difference. So I think that's, that's super important. Um, so Michael, thank you so much for your time today. I appreciate it. And, uh, I look forward to learning more about your organization and, um, the microbiome study. I'd be interested in, uh, when that comes out to learn about that too. Great. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for having me. It's been a real pleasure. Sure thing. All right, everybody. Thanks so much for joining in for today's podcast. Please consider subscribing, sharing. Um, if you can support the show, great. To those who have already supported the show, awesome. Um, I can tell you that there are a lot of good episodes coming up, a lot of great guests. I just have to finish editing some of the uh, podcasts in between my day job, of course. Um, but, well, you know, nothing's easy, is it? <laughs> All right. And now it's time for the closing quote. And this quote is from Mother Teresa. Perhaps you've heard of her. And it's just a quote I like. And <laughs> I'm, <laughs> I'm laughing because... The last time I made a comment on my social media page, I was saying something like, well, so-and-so is not Mother Teresa. 
like a like as a warning to someone to you know like hey they're not Mother Teresa you know um and someone wrote me and told me that Mother Teresa was like this awful evil human and that I should really google it so I did I, I googled it and apparently there's different versions of Mother Teresa out there uh but you know I don't have any beef with her um and we know she's done good in the world um so here's her quote you know it's a good quote no matter what you feel about Mother Teresa there is nothing more calming in difficult moments than knowing there's someone fighting with you I like that that was a good quote all right hopefully you like it too all right guys well go out there and have a good day and hopefully I'll see you next time bye-bye